So welcome back. I'm Ben. And I'm Carrie Nikolai. And we are with Codal Banker Seward Realtors in Wisconsin Rapids. That is right. It was a glorious day yesterday. 47 degrees, sunny, gained three feet of yard. It's, it's, it's almost green. I know. <laughs> and the one great thing about gaining a little bit of yard, we always think of the fun times we get to have in the community when there's no snow on the ground. Yes. Hard to segue into that one. I know. I was trying to figure out a way to bring it all around, and I totally suck at doing the segues. So, Ben, who do we have in the studio today? We have Tom Davis. Right. We can do some lot of fun things with Tom Davis. That is for sure. And Tom, your background that we're talking about now is with the airport and the EAA. So, yep. Welcome. Thank yeah. you. Uh, yes, I'm with the local EAA Chapter 706 in Wisconsin Rapids. We're part of the overall Experimental Aircraft Association, which is a thousand chapters across the world, mm-hmm. two hundred thousand members. We're just thirty members here in, the, in our hometown, Wisconsin Rapids. Um, but we do a lot of fun things in the community, so I'd like to talk about that today. And, and first of all, maybe we should just talk about EA in general, what that yeah. is. Because normally most people think of Oshkosh, the, yep. the huge fly-in, yep. and that's coming up. Do you roughly remember when those when those dates are this yep. year? That's July twenty fifth to the thirty first. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's really a neat opportunity, and and um, uh, it's something to, not to be missed. I mean, we're so lucky to have the Oshkosh headquarters right here in our backyard in Central Wisconsin, um, where this worldwide air show comes together once a year, and it's from people all around the world. You'll hear people speaking different languages at these booths. Um, you'll see there's ten thousand airplanes that descend on Oshkosh. So if you like looking at airplanes, that's it's really fun to do. Um, I think the last time I was there, I think I was probably like ten, eleven. Oh gosh, you got to go again. <laughs> Um, it's just amazing. Will the planes be just as big as they were when I was that age? Yeah, there's when they get the C five <laughs> galaxies in there, some of the military fighters and stuff. It's yeah, they're very. Impressive. I think those are the favorite planes to go take a look at. Is the military planes? Nothing against the personal planes that everybody has. I mean, they're pretty too. But for some reason, the military planes, I always like those the best. Oh yeah, and then they're part of the air show, so that's a lot of fun too. And they come flying by, and they're right. going almost you know speed of sound, so that you you see the plane go by, and then you feel and hear its noise after it's passed you already, which is. Pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that I've been um, online, you know, you, you get the TV shows from like the Discovery Channel, like Ice Truckers or whatever. Well, Ice Pilots. Mm-hmm. And it's about this Canadian company, Buffalo Airways, up in, you know, the Northwest Territories. Mm-hmm. And they're flying these vintage, you know, World War II aircraft and like the DC-3s and whatnot. And it, you see these at the air show. And it's just amazing specimens that have been kept up over time for so long. And to, to think air flight in general really has only been around 100 years mm-hmm. I mean, as, as a practical exercise. And these machines are still running. And you I'm know, curious as to where they find crazy. parts. I mean, I'm sure it's not like very simple if I can call it, you they know. Make some of their own. Too. Right. I mean, a lot yeah. of folks have good metalworking skills. They'll machine their own parts if they need to for these older, older planes. But that's actually one of the interesting things about airplanes in general. You know, the plane I fly is from built in 1982. Okay. But, you know, you, you think, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, I'd never drive a car that was built in 1982. I wouldn't trust it. Well, the, air, the airplanes get new engines every 2,000 hours. They get updated avionics. You can replace the seats. You can put, you can do a paint job. So another it's really Legos. It's airframe that's 40 years old. And it's aluminum and it doesn't rust. And you can make sure it doesn't rust uh, mm-hmm. or corrode. So, you know, they're perfectly safe. But, um, yeah, most of the airplanes you see flying around here were built in the 70s. Um, so they're, they're 30, 35 to 50 years old. Now, is there like a special like Napa store that you can go to, to get parts or is, <laughs> is there, how do you get plane parts? Well, you first got to find a mechanic and that's tough to do. We don't have one in Wisconsin Rapids, no airplane mechanic. I have to fly to Baraboo or he has to, if my plane can't fly because there's something wrong with it, the mechanic has to basically a, a doctor home visit kind of thing. He has to come to me. Okay. And visit my airplane here in Wisconsin Rapids. Um, so that's kind of a hassle because I have to pay travel expenses and all that too. Right. Um, but then those guys, you know, there's a network of companies around the country who make specific parts for specific types of planes. And there's a, you know, those mechanics all know who to talk to to get the parts. Okay. So, but yeah, the bigger thing is finding a mechanic. Uh, they're, they're, it's a, we could really use folks to go into that kind of a field uh, in these days. And uh, there's a lot of demand for it. Uh, it's just, you know, doesn't seem to be a lot of interest in going into that career field. So you said that you have your own, your own private plane. So how does the chapter here in Wisconsin Rapids, how do you fit into that with your plane? So you don't have to be a pilot at all to be part of our chapter. Okay. Um, um, 
uh, most of the, I'd say the majority of our members are pilots. Um, not them all are active pilots. A lot of them are guys who uh, don't fly anymore because they're a little elderly and they're not, you know, they, they don't, they're not safe. They don't feel to be piloting a plane, but they love to stay with involved with it. And so they come to meetings and then share their experiences and give guidance to us. us you know, I've only got eight years of experience, so uh, I'm always learning more. And mm-hmm. those are great resources to talk to and hear the, you know, the war stories of how, how to solve a problem, how to take it, you know, how to attack a problem you might be dealing with, like flying in the mountains or somebody's done it before and they can tell you about it. Um, but our chapter also has a lot of new members. One of our, our biggest feeders for members is people who are interested in flying and like to know more about it. They, they don't want to necessarily commit right away to, you know, what it costs to be, take a, uh, all the training it needs to become a pilot. But you can you know, meet with our chapter, talk to people who are thinking about doing it, and, you know, who are the instructors around, and how much does it cost to rent an airplane to learn, and, and all those things. There's a lot of people in our chapter who are going through that right now, and uh, it's a great way to get new members into our chapter. If you think you might be interested, eh, come meet with our chapter and see what it's all about. And I know that you do a lot with the youth. So yes. you've got a lot of youth flyers. Yep. We have a program called Young Eagles where we give free airplane rides to kids ages 8 to 17. Um, and you can really do that any time of the year. Um, if you go to the EAA's website and you can search for Young Eagles, you can find a contact in any city. You'll find my name there for our city. Okay. Um, and we can put you in touch with a pilot who will be happy to take your, your child up for a flight. Um, we also do two big rallies, we call them, where we have uh, six or seven planes. We get a whole bunch of ground crew, and we, we just push a bunch of ki- uh, kids through on a Saturday morning, like 50 kids, and we'll fly them in four hours. Each kid gets like a 20 to 30-minute flight, and um, they go up. They get to see the, you know, where their school is from the air, maybe their house. Uh, they'll fly around Lake Wazicha, around the city of Wisconsin Rapids, and then come in for a landing. And uh, it's really it's, it's the most fun thing we do as an EAA chapter because these kids – some of these kids have never flown in an airplane before. Mm-hmm. And so when you pull back at a stick and you see the smile on their face and the, their eyes open up really wide as they come off the ground, it's just really special. And when you land, I mean, they're just full of energy. They're smiling. They're so proud of themselves. And it's just a neat experience to be a part of. And once again, you don't have to be a pilot to be a part of that. We need ground crew. We need people to bring the kids out with their parents and take some pictures and escort the parents back away from the airplane. We need, you know, all the processing that has to happen. We need people to help with that too, not just fly. And it's when you're doing that job, you're still seeing the kids having all this fun. So it's right. really neat. Yeah. And it's totally different in a personal size aircraft versus, you know, your jumbo that you're flying across the country with on vacation. I was going to say the first trip that the kids took in an airplane was down to Florida. So we went from, you know, the little tiny plane of don't worry, just get on it. It'll be safe <laughs> to <laughs> a jumbo jet. And they're like, huh? You want me to get on that? I'm like, yeah, it's safe. Just go, go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but even just the the feeling, I, I had um, a local pilot take me up maybe about 20 years ago. Um, and I, I wasn't exactly a kid then, but still the, the experience is very memorable. And the the way you feel in the aircraft, the, the G-forces, the contact that you have with the ground, and you're less insulated than you are in like a 747 or something like that. You're really connected with the experience. Well, in the, the smaller planes, you know, the windows, I'm going to say, don't shut all the way and it's okay. You know, you get that nice breeze going through the plane and you're like, this is good. This is fun. Yeah, lots of noise. The yeah. Engine, yeah. That's good. The engine's making noise. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I have to warn my passengers when we come in for a landing and you actually pull the throttle back to, you know, just come in for the glide for landing. You know, the engine's going to get quiet. That's okay. You know, and, and warn them ahead of time. Otherwise, it is a little disturbing when suddenly the engine goes quiet. And, mm-hmm. you know, well, we need to do that to get back down on the ground. <laughs> now, was your chapter involved with a couple of years ago? I know that Mr. Uh, Neiman went up and took pictures of the cross-country meet. They had the aerial shots of the cross-country mm-hmm. meet. Was that your chapter that, that helped it um, in no, that? I don't think so. It wasn't, it wasn't a chapter function, but I actually was up flying around this year's uh, cross-country meet at Ridges. I was mm-hmm. just orbiting the field watching them run. It was just so much fun. Um, so I didn't have any long, it'd be a long take of pictures. I was just up in the afternoon for myself for my own enjoyment and happened to see, oh yeah, there's a race today. Let's fly around that. And uh, there was a thousand feet just orbiting the field, watch the whole race. It was fun. Um, and that's the neat thing, you know, there's so much to see and do from the air here that it, cranberry harvest in the fall is just gorgeous from the air. I, mean, I was going to ask you about that. Do you do like fall tours? So can we call you up and say, hey, I would like to see this, the fall colors from the air? Do you, you know. <laughs> so we don't do tours because that's, that's a commercial operation. You're hiring a pilot basically to take you up. But if you're a member of our chapter, 
whenever I go flying for my own enjoyment, I usually take somebody along. And so, you know, one of the things we do like to do is take other chapter members who aren't necessarily pilots. And, hey, you want, I'm going up Saturday morning. You want to come along? Let's go for a um, pancake breakfast run or let's go see the cranberry marshes. Or um, So, yeah, in the fall, it's, it's fun to fly out uh, west of town and, and see the bright red fields and my wife, and my wife loves taking pictures, so she's a great partner in this too. To, she likes to go up and take pictures, and I like the fact that she supports me in this uh, hobby. So that's uh, always good when you have <laughs> have a supporting partner. Yes. <laughs> yep. Um, so you mentioned the pancakes. All right. So mm-hmm. pancake flying. So what is that? Yeah, is so, a pancake flying? Um, well, pilots are always looking for a reason, excuse to get their plane out of the ground, out of the hangar, and take it up. And so a lot of airports will host a pancake breakfast throughout the summer. We're planning to do that this year in June. Uh, we'll avoid the Cranberry Blossom Festival, but uh, sometime in one of those Saturdays in June, we're going to host one here in Rapids, and we're going to okay. open it up to the whole community to come out and see the airport and what's been done there in the last couple of years with new taxiways, a new great big hangar, um, a great big parking ramp. Um, mm-hmm. So it'd be really great for the community to come out and see. The airport, and we advertise it with pilots around the state who get up on Saturday morning and say, "Hey, wonder where there's a pancake breakfast today? Oh, Wisconsin Rapids. Let's fly there." And we end up with you know 50, 60, 100 airplanes parked in the field, and people who come to the pancake breakfast can walk around the ramp, take a look at these planes with their kids. It's just it's it's a, it's a really neat event, and the kids love it walking up these airplanes and getting a good close view of them. So, and but there's good food too. Now, do you get like the classic planes that come in too? I mean, I really don't know what a classic plane would look like. So I'm just kind of going with like a car show here to kind of explain a car with a plane. Sure. And and so every pilot, I mean, most people only afford one plane. So, you know, I've got more of a traditional plane, but some people are really into home built airplanes or people are into restoring classic like Luscombe's, the silver, you know, pretty silver airplanes or the World War II biplanes. There's a guy in Wausau who has a Stearman. Um, They'll come to these events too and show off their planes kind of. It's a great opportunity to, you know, park it on the ramp and let people admire it. So you see a, a wide variety of kinds of airplanes at these things. Do they have like the really cool paint jobs just like the cars do? No, nah, I mean. Not yet. Yeah, they're not quite. Some cars really go for that's a pearl thing. Right. Look cool yeah. The paint job. It's the, the cool paint yeah. job. The airplane, I mean, the airplane itself is a thing of beauty. The paint just, is, it just enhances. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I put that out there just kind of see it because again, I've never been to one. Yeah. So don't. Been to a lot of car shows. Know what to ask for car people. Plane yeah. people, not quite yet. So that should be interesting. And we like, you know, hopefully we get some military folks flying too. We've had our hamburger socials, which is another thing we do. Um, you can tell food and pilots seem to go together here. But right. every Wednesday night in central Wisconsin and throughout the summer, there's an airport's hosting a hamburger fly-in where the local pilots put on a potluck and have burgers and, and, and sodas and Pilots will fly in from all around the state to land there. Um, and it's also cool, like, people at Volk Field find out about it, and they'll come over for, a, you know, they're on duty for medevac or something. They'll bring a Blackhawk over and land at our hamburger social and have dinner. Um, nice. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah that's – it. Wednesday nights are reserved for uh, flying to, you know, Wausau, Stevens Point, Mosinee, or, um, yeah. Um, and uh, Marshfield are close by, and you can be there in 20 minutes and have a burger, meet a lot of their fellow aviation aficionados and see their planes and – so with, okay, so we're going to another airport. What do we do about security? I mean, that's. There's no TSA at these little airports. At these little airports. Well, you mentioned Mosinee. I'm like, okay, how does Mosinee do their pancake or their well, brats? Yeah, there when you probably have a little more security, but like anywhere else, Stevens Point, Rapids, I mean, there's no security. There's a fence. There's a, a fence. It's a deer fence. The purpose of that fence is not to keep out terrorists. It's to keep out deer. Because they're a bigger danger to our airplanes than anything else. You know, you get deer in the runway, and especially in the evenings, that can be a, a ha- pretty big hazard. So, yeah, they're deer fences. Uh, so there's no big deal about letting people into the tarmac. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll ha- when we have our pancake breakfast, it'll be at the big hangar, which is inside the fence. Mm-hmm. And people have no problem getting into that. Okay. And, when you know, looking for these things, too, we advertise most of our stuff on, like, Wisconsin Rapids City Times. They, they're very good about putting art- articles out. We do Young Eagle rallies or pancake breakfast stuff. Do we you also, have a Facebook page? We have it on our Facebook page. So if you follow that, all of our events will be there, too. And what's your Facebook page name? Um, just chap- EAA Chapter 706. Okay. Excellent. Yep. We're going to have to try to find that this afternoon. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> I, I'm already on there. I've already okay. dabbled a little bit. Okay. okay. Excellent. Great. Well, and one of the, the reasons why was because my drone pilot's license, because in order to do commercial photography with the drone, I have to be a certified uh, Part 107 drone pilot oh. through the FAA. And, you know, part of that is being a responsible user of the airspace. 
and getting in with a group of pilots. You know, the EAA chapter here is it just made a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So I still have to get with you and fill out some forms and, and you know, sign up list, officially, yes. right? <laughs> <clears throat> you know, but, and, and that is actually another way that people can get into aviation. I mean, going through that was like a, a, a shortened version of pilots ground school for heaven's sakes, you know, looking at maps and airspace and understanding weather and all that jazz. Sure. You know, and so if people are, are interested, but don't want to spend all the money they think that they, they would need to, to get their own plane and all of those other certifications, you know, start small with yep. maybe a part 107. And even model airplane. Uh, I started with oh, RC sure. uh, radio controlled airplanes because I couldn't afford to buy an airplane when I was fresh out of college and had a young family and didn't have disposable income to speak of. I could afford a $500 model and a radio and that was about it. Right. Um, and so I did that for many years. Um, and you learn the same principles of flight and, and uh, you know, how that airplane works. So when it came time to get my pilot's license, I really understood a lot of the concepts already very well and it helped my, it sped along my process of, of getting my pilot's license for a real plane. So there's kind of the elephant in the room now. What, is it expensive and kind of what's the process to becoming a pilot? So that's one of the things we help out with too. Um, the EAA chapter has a thing called Eagle Flights, which is uh, like young eagles is for little kids. Eagle Flights are for adults. And we have a program that helps people navigate that process. It includes like a mentor flight where we'll take somebody up and, and let them try the controls and see how they like it. But it also is that mentoring process of, okay, you know, here's what flight instructors cost. You know, uh, you figure you probably $200 an hour between renting an airplane and having an instructor in an airplane with you. Um, and you need 40 hours of training to become a private pilot minimum. So that's about $8,000 plus the testing that has to happen and all that. You can figure it's going to be around 10 grand to get a private pilot's license. Um, there's a sport pilot's license, which is a little less, um, about half that price, but you can't fly at night. Um, and you can't fly into controlled airspace. Like you couldn't go to Mosinee or Madison or Milwaukee where there are towered airports. But you could fly around the countryside like around us, no problem. So a lot of our uh, members have sport pilot licenses. Um, and a little less demanding on the medical side too. You don't need quite as a stringent medical because you're not carrying a bunch of people. Um, but yeah, you can figure it's, it's uh, $10,000 to get a private pilot's license. The other thing that leads me to though is there's a thing called the Ray Scholarship, which our chapter mm -hmm. uh, did. Um, it's funded nationally, and we as a chapter earn the scholarship, and we can give it to somebody in our community. And we had recently had a, a, a student from Lincoln High School who got his private pilot's license. On his 16th birthday, he sold it in an airplane. On his 17th birthday, he got his license, which is as young as you can be to do those things. And at 17 and a half... He's flying young eagles in turn and starting the whole process over with another set of young kids to get excited about aviation. But the cool thing is it didn't cost him anything that he got a $10,000 scholarship to get his private pilot's license right here in Wisconsin Rapids. Wow. Oh, nice. Using local instructors and our local chapter to kind of encourage him and, and keep him going along the way and take him up on flights in our plane so he get a little more exposure. And, and so working on getting another scholarship this year. So if you know, kids want to get involved in our chapter, that's a neat opportunity. If we can get that scholarship again, we often give it to the, a student who's already a member of our chapter. So best place to go find a plane if you wanted to purchase a plane. Um, there's a number of websites, controller.com, uh, trade a plane, uh, where you can see airplanes. And they range from, you know, new airplanes are hundreds of thousands of dollars to, you know, millions for mm -hmm. jets. Um, but like a Cessna, like mine, you know, a new one's probably $600,000. But old ones, like the one I fly, you know, you can get a Cessna for twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. You know, right. basic plane, no fancy instrumentation, but it's got a good engine. It's got some instruments and it's legal to fly. Um, it's like having a, another, a, a car, a hobby car. Okay. Um, so, you know, at the low end. Now, I've moved up. My first plane was that. It was a 1965 Cessna, and it did the job. I got a lot of training and learning out of that plane and really enjoyed it. But now I've got a plane that has an autopilot and electronic, you know, dashboard, and so I can take it across the country and, and fly through weather. I'm, I'm instrument rated now, so I can fly through clouds, and you need a little better equipment for that. Okay. Um, so you can, it's what you really want to do. I mean, you can invest a ton of money in this hobby, or you can try and keep it like having a, a hobby car. And obviously, this is something that you just cannot park in your backyard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you need a hanger. <laughs> well, although there are some parts of the country that there are communities built right next to the airport. And, yep. and you can actually taxi through the, the housing projects that they have there and live there on site. Well, there's some of those in Wisconsin. Oh. Holman, Wisconsin, over by La Crosse has one. There's some sure. down by uh, the Baraboo area. Yep. Okay. But here in Rapids, what do but we here have? Here in Rapids. Here in Rapids, you basically have the airport. Um, and so there's... Uh, T-hangers that you can rent. A T-hanger is, say that, because it's shaped like a letter T and your airplane fits it perfectly inside because it's also shaped like a letter T. Okay. Um, you can rent those from the from the airport commission. Um, or there's private hangers. I happen to own my hangar, at least the land it's on, but 
I own the hangar and it's like a 40 by 50 uh, pole shed uh, with the big door that the planes are going in and out of. So you can rent those, you can buy those. Um, but yeah, you need a place to put your, your, your you car. You need a place to put, a, put the car. So you need a garage yes. space. Yep. And that's sometimes, you know, a little hard to come by, but there's also the big hangers, like the commission just built that big mm-hmm. hangar there. Uh, it's not a lot in there right now, but it's, it's made for renting out space. So there is a space available. If anybody wants to get into this, you at our airport, we don't have a problem with space, mm-hmm. which is really nice. So you kind of mentioned that you do a lot with all of the smaller airports. Mm-hmm. Now, how many grass landing strips are there in the state of Wisconsin? Oh, my gosh. I don't know the exact number, but it's a lot. Oh, okay. Um, um, I was I was thinking that there would be like only 15,000, but. Oh, not 50,000, I would say. But there's, you know, like places like Three Lakes, uh, Boulder Junction, they have grass runways. That's all they have is a grass runway. Um, and there's a lot of private runways. There's Winch Oil out in mm-hmm. Vesper has a runway that's it's, it's privately owned. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have permission to kind of land there. Um, but publicly owned, there's like 128 airports on this. There's a thing called uh, tr- uh, that the, the Wisconsin Department of Transportation does where you can get passport stamps at every airport that's state open to the state. Um, and a lot of them are grass strips. And so if you collect 40 stamps, you get a T-shirt. And 80 stamps, you get a flight bag. And 120, if you get all 128 of them, you get a leather jacket. Ooh, um, but easy. then you got to fly into a lot of small grass strips. And I'm not, my plane's not ready yet. I was going to say, <laughs> is it... A- Different with, I mean, obviously grass is different than, than concrete, yeah. but is it, I mean, so the, more concern on grass than on concrete? It depends on your airplane. Uh, my airplane has retractable landing gear and the wheels are a little smaller, so they fit inside the retracts. And a smaller wheel isn't so good on grass because you hit bumps, it's going to react harder. People who have tail draggers, you call them, with a tailwheel airplane, um, and they usually have bigger front tires, they're better on grass. It's actually, you have better control when you land on grass with one of those. So it depends on your equipment you're flying. And the kind of flying you like to do. Um, but I've taken my thing, my airplane out into Iola, has a grass strip. Um, uh, it, and they have every Friday, they have a, a lunch in the summer at Iola. Um, okay. And people fly in from all around the state. It's, it's awesome. Um, but yeah, you have to come like, you're coming over the trees, just barely over the trees, cross over the power line at the end of the road, then drop down onto the runway and get it, land, get it stopped in 1,200 feet. <laughs> so, um, Do you have like a backup camera so you know where the tail is actually at on that one? Well, you're, you're going so fast that the tail is pretty much where you were just a split second ago. <laughs> so you watch your shadow over the trees and know, oh, that shadow is pretty close. I'm getting low. <laughs> so. Well, we had gone to an event up in... Um, Washington Island mm-hmm. with the uh, the barbecue cook-off over there. And yes. a lot of people flew into that because it's on an island, and that just made sense. Yes. I've, I've flown to Washington Island. Uh, yeah, it's a neat way to get there. It's a lot faster than a ferry, and it's really quite, quite scenic, too. You can see the ferries mm-hmm. down below you. But, um, Madeline Island is another great place to go up in the Apostle Island area because there's an airport on that. And Mackinac is really one of my favorites, too. That's going to be on our summer bucket list this year because, you know, um, it's got a runway in the middle of the airport or the middle of the island. Nobody really sees it because it's in the woods at the top of the hill. Um, but once you get down a hill, you jump on a horse-drawn carriage or rent a bike, and you can do all the same stuff. But it becomes a day trip. It's a two-hour flight to Madeline or to uh, Mackinac, um, two-hour flight home. So I can get up in the morning, go there, spend the whole day there, and be home in time for bedtime. I should almost have him fly me when I've got to go up to Mackinac in uh, September. <laughs> Instead of the seven-hour car ride, I like the two-hour flight. Yes. <laughs> I like that idea better. Or Door County is another great one, too, at Ephraim Airport there. Um, nice little airport. But, yeah, it would it'd take you three hours to drive to Ephraim mm-hmm. from Wisconsin Rapids. It takes me about 45 minutes to fly there because you can cut right across Green Bay. And they have bikes at the airport. Loaner bikes, free to use. So you fly there in the morning, jump on a bike, ride through Peninsula State Park, go to Fish Creek, have dinner or lunch, ride your bike back, enjoy the scenery, and you're home by dinner time. I'm beginning to think flying is a whole lot better than driving at this point. (laughs) Yes, but it's slightly more expensive. Slightly. (laughs) I haven't seen that side of that yet. (laughs) Yeah. You figure av gas is five or six dollars a gallon. It's usually about two dollars a gallon more expensive than car gas. Okay. And as car gas is going up now, so our airplane gas is. Um, And you burn about. 10 gallons an hour, 12, depending on how big your airplane is. Some, ga- some airplanes only burn like five gallons an hour and they go slower, um, but I get about 10. So, you know, it's $50 an hour to fly my airplane. So I can be, you know, it cost me 50 bucks to get to Door County, 50 bucks to get back. But so it's, yeah, it's more expensive than driving a car. I was going to say with my truck, I think that's exactly what I pay to get my truck to and from places. So yeah. I'm not seeing a problem yet with there the gas. <laughs> it feels like it. Yeah. Like, no. So how did you get into aviation yourself? Well, like I said, I really, I always had an interest and I started off with RC planes because that's all I could afford. And my wife knew that I really had this hobby. So when my kids got older, they were getting off into college and my last son was uh, 
a senior in high school, uh, my wife bought me one of those orientation flights and, you know, go up and see how you like it. And, and I loved it. And then a good friend who was in the EA chapter, um, took, offered to take me and my wife for a flight in his plane. And that's key. Get your spouse involved. She was in the backseat with her camera, taking pictures out the window and she loves taking pictures. And after an hour flying around on a beautiful fall afternoon and the you know, trees were changing color, we landed and she goes, Oh, Go ahead, you can do this. I'll support you. <laughs> um, but that's what it takes because uh, it's not a small investment. Um, but ever since then, now we're we're you know flying all around the country, and she's manning her sticking her camera out the window, and you can get a lot of good pictures. So, what is your longest flight? Um, we flew from Seattle to Wisconsin in one day. So that was okay. two landings for gas on that trip. That I bought the plane in Seattle and flew it home one day. And the next weekend, we flew to New York to go visit my son at West Point and flew the New York, the Hudson Corridor. We fly around Manhattan over okay. the Hudson River, which is really cool. It's like, I call it uh, urban canyon flying. You're below the level of the tallest buildings. You're like in a valley. And, you, you know, you can't go above a thousand feet because you get in, uh, involved with the LaGuardia traffic and all that. So you're you know, going right through there. Um, and the World Trade Center is towering above you, and you're only about, I don't know, two blocks away from it. Oh, wow. Um, it's really cool. Circle around the Statue of Liberty and come back up the river. Um, you know, we kind of, hey, here's where Sully landed his plane. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll keep ours in the air. <laughs> wow. And we've yeah, been wow. to yeah, Texas. My parents uh, winter in Brownsville, Texas, so we flew the plane down to them. That was a 10-hour flight. Um, so it'd be you know, three days of driving or one good day in the airplane. And of course, a lot of stops along the way for or right. a and couple stops for fuel. Have, our son, who's at West Point, is now at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Well, let's stop at Fort Sill and see him. It's on the way to Texas, um, so it kind of breaks up the trip. And I have Army friends in Fort Knox, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas City area. Well, perfect gas stop there. Gas stop to see our young son, and we're on. It's just it, it's so nice because you don't have to deal with TSA every time you stop and all that. You know, you just stop in usually mostly small airports have a crew car available they call it mm -hmm. we have at rapids i think we have two of them where a pilot comes in he can borrow the car and the only thing they ask is you put gas in it when you're done right and you can run into town and go to a restaurant or you know drop off at a hotel so this really helps the community out too when these pilots come in they can get a bite to eat and you know utilize the local businesses that's one of the things that we always see with rapids airport here alexander field being so busy in the summertime you know with the people heading down to the golf course but they're, they'll stay along the way too. You know, they'll patronize local restaurants and, mm -hmm. and use the services here in town, which is really, really good for our community. Yeah. And catering for those jets too. They, you know, they, when they leave, they leave with a bunch of food on board for the passengers. Well, where'd that food come from? Wisconsin yeah. Rapids. Yeah. Businesses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I know we talked with um, Ruby Reds, you know, mm -hmm. and getting that, the local flavor and stuff in there and, and mm -hmm. they enjoy having those people come in as well. And, it's really been so access into Wisconsin Rapids being increased by our airport has really increased the you know home sales potential in the area too. Um, people fly here and they seem to like it and they seem to want to stay and you know happen to buy a house too. So all these things are networked together and the easier it is for people to get here or their friends to get here, then the people tend to stay here. Yeah, and I don't think most people realize how busy our little airport is and all the great things that this chapter brings to the table. And we used to have the big balloon fest mm -hmm. that has kind of gone away. Do you know if that's ever going to be coming back? Doubt it. So uh, EAA experimental aircraft, but can you touch on the experimental part of it? So that's how the EAA started was Paul Poberesny, who founded it in the late 50s. Um, it was a group of people who built their own and designed their own airplanes. Um, so it started off with that, you know, sharing ideas and how to techniques and that kind of thing. But it rapidly grew. And so now it's 200,000 members. It's all parts of aviation and a lot of advocation on behalf of aviation, you know, uh, working with the FAA and what regulations make sense and which ones are kind of onerous and don't make a lot of sense. Um, and they had the great museum down there too. Yes. And that's the other thing I want to mention. So the, the EAA fly-in, which, you know, the Air Venture in, in July, um, it, you can... It's open to the public, $52 per adults. Kids are free, 18 and under. And if you join the EAA, you get a $15 discount on that for you and a guest. So instead of $52 a piece, you could be $37 a piece, and you're a member of the EAA. It's $40 to be a member of the EAA. So basically, to do the math there, it's basically costing you $10 more if you join. But you get a magazine all year round, which is a really good magazine, and okay. you get access to not just the EAA Museum in Oshkosh anytime for free, but 400 other affiliated science, technology, aviation museums around the country. So like I've gone to the Boeing Museum in, da in, uh, in uh, Seattle. Yeah, okay. Show my EAA card and you're in free. So Excellent. one visit to one of those, 
more than pays for the the cost of the membership of the EAA. Anything in the Phoenix area? I don't. There's there's a website that shows you all the museums that are yeah. in the program. Excellent. I think I just might have to check that out. So you know, now we do it kind of with the Harley Davidson philosophy as well. So if you travel somewhere for a holiday, you know, where's the local Harley dealer or Harley attraction? And now, that's what kind of got us down to ten to Tennessee is. We just put in the GPS of the next Harley Davidson dealership mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of got us to, to Nashville. Oh. And then you got to stop along all the uh, Harley Davidson's stores along the way. Well, and tying into Harley Davidson, one of the things we did two years ago, my wife and I flew to Rapid City, South Dakota in August after Sturgis, okay. rented a Harley, spent the week. We flew in on a Friday. We left Rapids at seven in the morning. By noon, we were sitting on a Harley in Sturgis at the Loud American ordering steak or uh, steak bites. Okay. Spent the weekend riding around Black Hills, and by Sunday evening, we're back home in Wisconsin Rapids. Um, so combining airplanes with motorcycles. Fantastic. I'm going to like this idea. More and more. As long as you have the pocketbook for it. That is very true. Yeah. Right? Well, what did it cost you to drive to Sturgis? My wife couldn't ride a, she couldn't ride our Harley all the way to Sturgis. All I heard in the time. beginning of right. this was $30,000 to get a good plane. Yeah. Which is like the cost of another vehicle. Really, it is. Right? So, yeah. You just do you want it? Do you want that now. new vehicle? Or do you want a plane? Right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yep. What's your what? How, yeah, funding your hobby, and this is it was a nice empty nest thing to do too, because it does. Right. You, know, you want to stay current with it. Once you get doing it, you don't want to go months without flying because you lose your edge. I'll mm-hmm. fly once a month, once a week. Is kind of my goal. Uh, twice a week in the summertime when it's really nice, so it's just fun to be out there. But even through the winter, I'll fly at least every other week just to keep current with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and you got the, the ice storms. I mean, yeah, you can't. Snow. When there's snow and ice, you can't fly in that. So, but like yesterday would have been an awesome day to be up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I was out of town doing something else. But do you, do you enjoy, <laughs> do you enjoy your, your winter flying at this time of the year to slowly watch that snow level decrease as you're coming further? Oh, you see that? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, here. yeah. Because I'll drive to like Eau Claire and I swear like the Nielsville area does not have any snow. Then as you get closer to um, Pittsville, the snow just gets deeper and deeper. Oh, yeah. And it's like, OK, somewhere. Well, we're big snowmobilers, too. So I use it for scouting for snow. Okay. Where's the better snow? Ah, <laughs> There you go. Snow looks really great by Phillips. I think I'll go there. <laughs> uh, it's great for fishing, too. Scouting Wisconsin River during the uh, walleye uh uh, run. Days? Yeah. yeah, where are all the boats? Oh, okay. I, oh, I didn't. I don't know about that spot. There's three boats there. Let's <laughs> check them out sometime. You know, so aerial reconnaissance is a, a really neat side of benefit of the hobby. Oh, that's fun. Hey, so um, water. Have you ever landed on water? Done water? Not my. Not with me. I, I've been in a plane and landed on water, but mm-hmm. I'm not licensed for it. You have to have a special certification. Interesting. Yep. The same with the instrument flying. You know, a basic pilot license, you can fly, you know, vi- visual flight rules during the day. You know, at, well, at night, too, you can fly, but not in the clouds. Extra training is about $4,000 worth of extra training to learn how to fly in the clouds where you have no idea where up is. You know, total, no, no sensory uh, inputs that make sense. And then, yeah, adding a seaplane rating or a multi-engine, having two-engine airplane, all takes additional training for all those kinds of things. It, it really seems like this is one of those hobbies that has a little bit of something for everybody. You know, and if you're really technical savvy and you want to get into the technical part you know the avionics is a huge deal if you're just sticking rudder and want to get you know the basics and happy with that that's certainly open to it too and cost is yeah everywhere in between there's Mm -hmm. another lot of other options than just having a standard plane like i have which is kind of the normal thing to think about but we've got guys at our field who have powered parachutes um paramotors are called basically it's a little weed eater engine on your back with a propeller on it in a cage and in a backpack and you've got a parachute and you just kind of run a little bit and the parachute takes off and it pushes you up in the air um and they fly around the rapids airport and it's cheap uh, a rig like that brand new might be only like 12 or fifteen thousand dollars used probably cheaper mm-hmm. um the trainings there actually is no training technically required although you'd be foolish to not get some training but right. for a couple of grand you can get all the training you need and now, you know, they don't burn much gas. They're quiet. You can fly around and you know, sneak up on deer and, you know, really low and slow kind of flying. And that's here in town, too. And ultralights. That's kind of a step up. Mm-hmm. Um, lightweight planes, they're often like fabric-covered, you know, aluminum tubing jobs. Um, you'll see those around Rapids, too, buzzing around the area. Much cheaper to operate than the kind of plane that I fly. Um, you're not going to take one of those cross-country necessarily unless you're really dedicated because it'll take you a long time. Yeah. Uh, but... The scenery is gorgeous. One of those, you're flying low and slow and get to see a lot of things. Well, and the really great thing is it sounds like just 
start getting involved with the local chapter here. Sure. And then from there, because the, we have people it, who do endless. all those things in our yeah, chapter. It's, it's, it's endless opportunity of where you want to go with a hobby like this. Yep. Cool. Anything else you want to touch on? Um, the only thing I also want to add with the, the whole EAA thing is go, go to Oshkosh in July if you haven't done it, or if you haven't been there in many years, go back. Um, I always hated the idea of big crowds. And I, I'm ashamed to admit I didn't go to it until I actually got my pilot's license and started getting more involved in aviation. And I'm kicking myself for not having done it sooner because I always heard 100,000 people, oh, my gosh, I don't want to sit in traffic. I don't like big crowds. I don't want to deal with that. It's not like that at all because it's so big. It's spread out over miles of square miles of area that it doesn't feel crowded. It's you, know, you can get in, walk through these airplanes. You can you can get through a bathroom line or a food line really quickly. Um, so don't let the big crowd scare you. The opportunity is just amazing, and the air shows they do every day are incredible. So two things I definitely, if you go to the EEA, what do you not miss out on? That you must do at least two. Well, the air show, but the night show. Yeah, yeah. The night show because I heard a lot about the night show. Only happens on Wednesday and Saturday. So if you're going to make a one, if if it's going to be a one day thing, pick Wednesday or pick Saturday because then there's an afternoon air show and an evening air show. And at the night air show, there's fireworks at the end of the show too. But the airplanes actually are shooting fireworks off their wings as they're flying and doing pattern work. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's. Pretty interesting to see because normally we don't like fire and airplanes don't mix, but these guys are shooting fireworks right off the wings. Um, so it's really cool to see that air show. Um, otherwise, I mean, just you know, the, the military static displays. You know, they got all these military aircraft there from different countries too. Germany had one there last time, um, and hospital they had a hospital uh, airplane there that flies to Africa and does eye surgery and or areas cool. where you don't have doctors. Um, so that you know, they had to, we could walk her through the operating room in the airplane. It was pretty neat. Wow. There's something for everybody. There is. There is. <laughs> I think we're going to put that on the list of things to do this summer. Yeah. Well, a couple years ago, I had taken the boys to the museum mm-hmm. to, just as a weekend thing to do. Um, and just kind of get them exposed to different different things, different ideas, part, and part of our history. There's so much history there, too, with the history of flight and not just what the U.S. has, but like you say, international as well. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yep. It's a great museum. All right. Well, excellent. Well, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. All right. So that was super fun talking with Tom. It was. And Tom and Carol are married. And remember, we interviewed Carol last year. Yes, we did. I don't remember what agency agency she is with. with. The Cultural Center. That's right. Yes. Yes. Um, and of course, you know, as, as Tom explained, she's very into the photography portion of it, mm-hmm. along with all the other cultural fun things. And it was, it's fun to hear about the trips that he has taken with his, his plane mm-hmm. and the different opportunities that are available because, you know, like you said, 45 minutes, he can be up in Door County. Right. You know, so it, it was kind of, it was neat to hear about some of the great trips that they have taken. They have done a mountain flying, a mountain landing. Okay. So they get to, they get to learn about different airports that have got unique features to it. Oh yeah. So um, he's got a bucket list of airports to go visit. That would be fun, mm-hmm. and and each of those have their own challenges. Yes. Because, I mean, there, it, it, and if you're again, the, this is another hobby. That is a little bit expensive, but it doesn't always have to be. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different things you can do with it. There's so many niches that you can work yourself into. Right. Um, and again, like you said, you know, you don't have to be the the pilot. You right. can join the chapter. You can work with the planes. You can work with the pilots and everything and just kind of learn about the, the airplane itself mm-hmm. and still have that connection to it without actually owning it. Right. Which is the best cost-effective side to be on, is I get to play with them, and I don't have to own them. And then you get into, you know, helping other people out and learning more about aviation in general. Um, going to air shows, mm-hmm. it's always fun. Um, and I think there are, there are definitely some smaller air shows around the area as well. Uh, I'm pretty darn sure there's one up in Wassa that's, that's like a, a more bigger size air show. You know, not not quite EAA size, right? And you know, more like what you would see in uh, Daytona, over over the beach, that type of thing. Okay, 
Because the only thing I can think of right now for Wasa is their glow fest with the hot air balloons. And then there's the hot air balloons. Which right? I know is very different, but just as cool as yeah. an airplane. You know, and, and if you want to really delve into all of the aviation stuff, you can get into gliders. Mm-hmm. You know, where you don't have an engine that you have to maintain. You right. just have to find someone to pull you up into these into the sky, but right. th- that kind of coordinates with the uh, the mountain aspect too, because all of the you don't see how air moves, you know, the air at different temperatures, and how it interacts when it hits geographical features. Right. So you know it'll force the air up in certain ways, and understanding how all that works. I mean, yeah, you can you can really dive into it. So yeah, the local EAA chapter. And yeah. from from what I, I've got, I've gotten on their mailing list. Okay. Um, and they they're quite active. They have uh, monthly meetings, and you know, like Tom was saying, with the meetups and usually revolving around food. So that's you know. usually the best way to get the people to go to a meeting is bring some food, right? And they'll show up, and they forget that they're coming to a meeting because they're coming for food. And like one of my personal hobbies with the amateur radio. It kind of revolves around the same sort of aspects. You know, if we want to have a meeting, if we want people to actually be at an event, we have food. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those, again, where you can really delve into a whole different array of, do you want to get technical with it? Do you want to get not technical and just really analog, you know, old school, old fashioned, you know, just like airplanes. You don't have to do the high tech stuff, but you can. <clears throat> right. So, Yeah. That was a good conversation with Tom. I, I think was. we're going to have to, you know, run down that road a little bit farther. And I really think um, going and visiting the EAA during their fly-in mm-hmm. would be really nice to go. Because like I told Tom, I think I was 10, 11 the last time I've been down there. And so hopefully it's changed. I just remember there was lots of planes and a lot of walking. Um, but I think it'd be kind of fun to go see the new changes that they've had. The big planes are still big. Okay. Yeah. I was like the military section. Oh, yeah. And I think that was always like the best planes. Not no, like the current warbirds or the vintage warbirds. I don't know. All I know it was guys with guns and we had military planes. We had the military there and they were just kind of fun to hang out with. So kind of where I, I really enjoyed going is go visit the military. And there's so much history and the military has pushed technology because they have the funding to do so. Mm-hmm. So aviation really grew up through the military portion of, you know, the, the funding aspect of it. Um, it and, and if you're a history buff, I mean, aviation has been for the last hundred and something years, you know, just about as long as real estate has been. Right. right. Coldwell Banker started in 1906. Yes. You know, and really that's about the time that the Wright brothers were starting to do their thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the in- different engine types. Uh, it's, yeah. We, we could we could go on forever we we had to hold tom back a little bit yeah we did so speaking about projects and interests and hobbies what kind of projects have you been doing around your house well we have been i i needed to have my son come over to help me so my oldest son came over he helped out because it was sunday fun day with the bathtub and demolition man it was demolition time and if you haven't seen the pictures on Facebook, definitely go to the Facebook page and check it out. We started with the Sawzall. So we started with the Sawzall with blade A. Right. And I, it was not cutting. No, mind you, we're working with a cast iron tub from the 60s. Right. So we tried the torch. Right. So it was a brand from Milwaukee. So was, we tried the torch because I was told that I could cut through anything. And it, and it didn't, didn't quite work. Didn't quite work. Um, so then we changed blades and we tried Wrecker. Yep. And that was a little bit better, but I think I didn't have the upper body strength because of my son took over and I made sure that we had the safety out there. So again, we did the safety. We went out to the garage, grabbed the chainsaw helmet. So he had head protection, he had eye protection, and then he had ear protection. So he was had his face shield down and everything. And he was able to cut through a little bit of it. But then we thought maybe grinder would be a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. Now, coming to find out, um, because then, of course, afterwards, I do a little bit of research. 
And there was actually a This Old House episode mm-hmm. um, that popped up. And the, uh, yeah, they, they have a specific type of blade to put on a grinder. It's more like a, a diamond tipped, but it's the aggressive diamond tipped. And, okay. And he's, he just showed it. He ripping right through the the thing. So different blade for different purpose, I guess. Right. So the grinder, it worked, but it was setting off all the smoke alarms in, in the house. So we do know that all the smoke detectors do work in our house. You're welcome. Um. So thank you for that. And then we decided there's got to be a quicker, easier, faster way than this because we kind of burnt a little bit of the floor. We We had some scorch marks. Right. So in our trips out into the garage to try to find tools that I did not own. Um, we did find a sledgehammer. Right. We do have a sledgehammer. And so we figured what else better to use than more force applied. And so sent the son in there with the sledgehammer and tell him to go nuts. But he did not break the new toilet. Which that is- was the one thing that I told him to make sure he did not break was the good toilet. Right. Because I didn't want to buy another one. We could just go over to the project house because there's one sitting in the box still. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> we managed to demolish it. So, still sitting in the back of the pickup truck. In pieces. In pieces. And made a comment that I got to get to the dump here pretty soon one of these days and take out the bathtub that's hanging out in the back of the truck. So, hopefully this week I can find some time to get rid of a bathtub. If not, Saturday morning. And it's just fine. Right. It's it's contained in one spot and um, able to drive around with a bathtub in the back of my truck. One of the best, easiest ways, I guess maybe not best or most convenient, um, but certainly the fastest way to get an education on how houses are built is by tearing them apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to see the history of construction. Right. Yeah. Um, we were finding out that we have the subfloor and then on top of the subfloor is a sub subfloor. And then on top of that was the first layer of laminate flooring, then another subfloor and then the current laminate flooring. Right. Because the majority of the house has uh, hardwood floors. And so they wanted to, you know, match the level of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's going to be fun pulling that up. Right. And I think that one's just going to be a simple, take the uh, circular saw. Mm-hmm. And drop the blade down to the crock depth and cut, zing it, and make some strips and pull up some strips and take it out that way. I think that's going to be the easiest. The plan. Plan. And as we learned from Sunday, just because we have a plan, it doesn't always go the way it's supposed to. You plan the plan. You start the plan. You run the plan. And you, you take s- make a trip to Home Depot to get a tool. See the plan go off the rails. And just roll with it. Yep. So yeah, we're we're working on it. Um, I think our next our next step in all that is to take out the vanity and get the vanity out along with the flooring, so that way we'll just have an empty room. Okay. To make room for all the new stuff, and then that way we can really look at the size of the room and what are we going to finish off the the room with. So, I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about putting in tile or putting in a laminate. I think, I don't know which way we're going yet, but we're going in a direction of just destruction or just destroying it. Well, the the first step in any project is either dig a hole or break something. And we're doing that. Dig a hole or break it down. Yep. So, we're working on it. I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, come May, June... We will have that bathroom taken care of. Right. We then we got to do a little bit of work in the smaller bathroom. I need an outlet put in. Which a should, better outlet put in. Which should not be a problem. Shouldn't be. A simple electrical swap out. Right. So. And then I got to find all a new home for everything that's in the current bathroom to take 100% out. Mm-hmm. So that way the next destruction realm can happen. And I know Tyler's looking forward to that. Because he was almost ready to take out the vanity on the other side. And I told him he had to wait. So he's ready to take out the vanity and continue with the demolishing. I think once he got that sledgehammer going, I think he wanted to continue. There's always a balance when you do renovation projects while living in the house. Mm-hmm. 
um, I, I think a little bit more of a, uh, yeah, a little bit more of a balance when you're actually living there versus you still have to balance, you know, the, the steps of the project when it's um, a secondary home, but definitely, you know, you still want to think through the project and not get too far ahead. So now you don't have certain things that you need to still have in place. Right. You know, like plug the drain so the sewer gas doesn't come in and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're doing this, you know, a little slow, but that's okay. I mean, it doesn't, we're not trying to rush through this project of this needs to get done in a weekend because we're listening to the house come Monday. Right. We're not doing that again. Kind of learned our lesson from the last time, but, you know, taking it slowly at a time and just kind of got a couple hours throughout the week and just take care of things. And now it's going to be cleaning out that bathroom, getting everything out and getting it out to the point where it's stuff that's in there that if we need to get to it, if we need to get to the first aid kit, going to need to put it in a neutral location mm-hmm. and everything else just needs to find a neutral location and get the other bathroom up and running. Well, you've got plenty of space. I do. And you know, like we tell our sellers often, one of our coaching tips is that if you want to actually finish the projects in your house, go ahead and put it up, put the house up for sale. Yes. It uh, usually gets the honey to-do list done a whole lot quicker. It's a great motivator. Yes. It is. Um, and we also have at Coldwell Banker um, an in-house program to help sellers with their renovations, uh, especially things like that. If like the bathroom is the only thing that's sad and tired, you can give us a call. We can talk about it. And if you're listening with us, you could participate in this program where, you know, contractors can be hired and nothing comes out of your pocket until the time of closing itself. And that'll just come out of your proceeds. Right. So we, that's an exciting, exciting bit that just launched last year. JR is really excited about it. Yes. So, um, yeah, we got that project going on and you had noticed that we're missing a coffee table in our living room. So now our living room looks like we have a huge dance floor. Right. Um, the ball, the ballroom is back. The ballroom is back. Uh, you definitely can do a little bit of two step in there. And you're also looking to get rid of your couch. soon. Your, your sofa. Yep. So we're downsizing all of our oversized furniture mm-hmm. and getting something else. And I keep going back and forth on my something else because I'm not sure if I want to go back to a full couch or if I want to do two lazy boys and just have some nice recliners in there. Because again, we don't have the huge family, mm-hmm. but we just need space for our family for when they do come over to have a place to sit. Well, there's always the metal folding chairs. Uh-huh. Right. Classic. Right? Very classic. Set up the, the four foot table in the middle of the room. And pretty soon it's be warm enough where it can be outside by the fire pit and that can seat people. Right. A lot better than the living room. I mean, you, we, we've really developed a hibernation aspect as far as like having multiple people at the house. You don't do much entertaining in the wintertime. Right. So you do more of your entertaining and outdoor living. And, and really, I think you look forward to that. I do. So. And that's your, you know, got to finish up the fire pit just a little bit with some more crushed granite. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be looking at the screen and porch. Right. So there'll be plenty of projects to come along. And we'll be talking more about that in our two of the programs. All so right. y'all stick around. 